0: Welcome to Truth Triumphant Radio. I'm your host Cody Mori, and today I wanted to talk about uh, this book I've been reading and, and another book I've been per, uh, perusing um, called Jesuit Hollywood. I'm actually going to name this Jesuit Hollywood, and the reason why I want to bring it up is because for for a lot of folks, um, you know, this is a this is a major major issue behind closed doors with a lot of Christians um, in many different denominations. Uh, but but very much so in seventh day Adventism. And I wanted to address it because I, I want to make sure that people understand that um, this can be a very dangerous area. and that is Hollywood movies, television, even sports and entertainment, all these things are actually, in truth, controlled by the Jesuit order. And it would make sense that they would be when you look at what they do. Uh, as, we, as you can clearly see, if anybody is paying attention out there, if you're really seriously paying attention and trying to be objective as possible, you know that regardless of which side you fall on on any given issue, you know that at this point, the media itself has an agenda. They have a certain agenda that they want to preach and teach the world, the news media. That, That agenda is seconded and furthered and supported by Hollywood, by the celebrities, by the musicians and so you got to ask yourself you know if if you see jesuits all over politics on both sides of issues then wouldn't it be the same wouldn't it wouldn't it be just too much of a coincidence that this other major power group which is hollywood and the entertainment industry gets paid millions and millions of dollars to do what they do would it be just a little bit too much of a coincidence, do you think, that they wouldn't somehow be working together? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. And folks, it's it's an issue that actually goes all the way back to the Counter-Reformation. So it's, um, it's not new, it's an old tactic, it's an understood tactic that's been worked and used by the Jesuit order for a long time and I want to give you some quotes here from a book entitled The Power and Secret of the Jesuits. It's written in 1930 by Renee Fulop Miller and it goes over a lot of information. It's a very interesting book. Um, It goes over a lot of information about the Jesuit order and um, so let's talk about the Jesuits in theater. This is from page 409 to 410. The utilization of the theater for the purpose of religious propaganda appeared to the Jesuits all the more necessary inasmuch as, just about this period, the stage was manifesting an ever-increasing tendency to emancipate itself from the yoke and and to stride forward along new paths. For some time past, the impulse towards new dramatic subjects had tried to break through the barriers imposed by the religious mystery plays of the Middle Ages. Since humanism had brought with it a breath of the spirit of antiquity, a general interest in man, his activities, his virtues, and his vices had been awakened, so that the theater of the 16th century could no longer be restricted to the hierarchical, or for the hierarchical severe plays dealing with the transfiguration or the redemption or the soul's descent into hell and ascension to heaven but rather extended its scope to deal realistically with all the human passions so you can see their humanism uh, was one of the issues that they actually ran into back in uh, during the days of the counter-reformation but they utilized the play and theatrics in order to gain adherence from Protestantism back to Catholicism. And that's how it started. It's actually part of the Jesuit Counter-Reformation, um, I guess, I don't know how to describe it, but I guess Action action Step, which was uh, the their education plan, the ra- Ratio Stodorum, in which case they set up th- theatrical schools throughout Europe and the theatrics of them, the plays, the stories, the storytelling, etc., what it was designed to do was to regain Protestants and heretics, you know, non-believers, to back either back into or into the Roman Catholic Church and back under its wing, just the same way that the educational system was designed to do. By the way, in today's world we see again the education system, the media, and uh, Hollywood, the entertainment industry, all agree by and large their agenda is all one and the same. So that's very interesting. But that's part of the Jesuit Counter-Reformation back in the 1500s, 1600s, and 1700s. And this was going on throughout Europe and one of the issues that they had actually um, was that people, and this—I mean, this is what we see going on today—people wanted to see more and more. Uh, they wanted, they didn't want the restrictions of the plays and the theatrics to be just related to religious matters, or uh, you know how the Roman Catholic Church basically saves the world, or something like that. Um, They wanted to see more humanistic stuff, stuff from antiquity, uh, stuff from the Greeks, you know, stories about Hercules and things like that. And this came from the ideas of humanism, which were permeating through France, and obviously that really culminated in the French Revolution, but you have humanism right there. So you have the King of the North and the King of the South right there. And that was the issue that was going on. It's kind of interesting. But I have another quote here from page 410. It says this from the same book. uh, Again, this book is entitled The Power and Secret of the Jesuits, written in 1930 by Rene Fulop Miller. Uh, Rene Fulop Miller is spelled R-E-N-E-E. Fulop Miller is F-U-L-O-P dash... M-I-L-L-E-R, for those of you who want to look it up. I'm not sure if it's available in PDF form online or not. Uh, but again, this is from uh, page 410. It said, For this reason, unless the Jesuits were to allow the imagination of the masses to be entirely secularized or to fall under the influence of their Protestant adversaries, they found themselves forced to organize a theatrical counter-reformation. Accordingly, most simultaneously with the beginning of their educational work, they started a systematic theatrical activity in order that the human love of spectacular effects, which showed signs of breaking away from the church, might be gratified and at the same time maintained in the spirit of the Catholic religion. Within a brief period, the worldwide network of Jesuit scholastic establishments was supplemented by a similar system of Jesuit theaters. So the Jesuits already had their educational system, by and large, in place. And what they did was they they began to set up uh, theatrical centers. And this, this, this is on steroids now today, folks. I mean, you look at what's going on, the stories that are being taught, I don't understand how individuals um, can support some of this stuff. I mean, you got to think, it when you go to see these movies and it has an actor in there who, in their free time, the millions of dollars that they're getting paid to be in that movie, they're using that free time to try to destroy America. That means we, when we go see those movies and support them, that we are supporting... The destruction of our country. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it, also, is that if Satan is controlling this medium and if the Jesuits are controlling this medium, then that would mean that Christians are willingly, which they may have not been up to if they're they're hearing this for the first time, but some some know. Um, so if, if you know. Christians are willingly putting themselves in situations to have some type of Jesuit propaganda preached to them in the form of entertainment. Now, that could be music, movies, um, theatrics in general, but that's essentially what's going on. So you got to think about that for a second. Because I've talked to people about this, and they said, well, well you know, I, I know I know what the Bible says and I know what this says and you know if they say something that's wrong, I'll know it's wrong. And you gotta think to yourself, think about who you're dealing with here. You're dealing with uh Satan himself. He is the arch deceiver. Is that a safe place to be? You know, to to willingly and knowingly venture onto his ground and say, Well, I think I can outsmart you. That doesn't. I mean, if you think about when you think about it that way, it seems kind of silly. But, anyways, let's take another look at um, where this led to uh, in Europe and throughout the rest of the world. This is from page 411 and 412, same book. It says nothing has attracted the poetry-loving Indians more effectively than our plays. Reported the Jesuit missionaries in these regions. In Goa, in particular, a stage was set up in front of the church, on which the Jesuit pupils enacted scenes from the life and work of St. Francis Xavier. In Japan, the the theatrical activities of the Jesuits met with no less sympathetic reception, for in that country also there had existed since time immemorial a national stage of a high cultural standard on which stories of the gods and national heroes were produced including dances, rhymed dialogues, and musical settings. Here also, the Jesuits retained the traditional forms almost in their entirety, merely replacing the Japanese mythical subjects by stories taken from the Bible. In Bungo, the Jesuits produced religious plays, cycles, representing the intermediate stage between the Japanese pantomimes and the Spanish autos. In the colleges and seminaries at Nagasaki, Arimo, Osaka, and Mayako, there were permanent school theaters. The Society of Jesus found similar points of contact in Mexico and Peru, where the Aztecs and Incas had been in the habit of holding regular performances in the marketplaces and temples, which included symbolic dances dances and dramatized legion, legends. One of the favorite plays Which the Jesuits now introduced was that of the rich man and the poor beggar Lazarus, a theme which the Jesuits treated in a manner that was gratified, the Indians being aimed against the colonists, as it were. In Paraguay, the Jesuit mission theaters naturally reached a high stage of perfection. The plays which were performed in this country were written solely in the Indian dialect and could therefore be fully understood. By the natives if you remember folks from some of the things that we talked about before they used the paraguay indians there the natives in paraguay to make the jesuit order extremely wealthy they were actually slaves and this goes back to some of the forms of catholicism's um really weaponizing and and design of communism because they they actually set up reductions and they they were communal living and so there you have it again in order to control the people in order to control the people they used their Jesuit theater and in their Jesuit theater they would have their moral teachings that they wanted the people to be impressed by not from the bible Not from learning directly from the Bible or learning directly from the spirit of prophecy, but learning their version of those things and their principles and their morals. And I think it's very clear that the same thing is happening today. I got one more quote here from this book, and then we'll take a look at the other book, uh, which is called Jesuit Hollywood by Sean Wilcock. It says in 1700, the German Jesuit Father Johann Battista Adolf wrote a large number of comedies for the school theater, the action which turned entirely on low comedy, such as humorous peasant and beggar scenes, and a report of that period from the Munich College to headquarters of the order at Rome. It stated that there is no better means of winning over the Germans, of making friends of heretics and other enemies of the church, and of filling the schools than farces. So in other words, the Jesuits understood um, and recorded that they were able to win their enemies over, Protestants over, heretics through theater. And think about that. How many people love movies or watch movies? Pretty much everybody, especially here in the Western world. is very, very popular. Um, the effects in the United States, the special effects that it's been going on for for some time has just increased, you know, a hundredfold from, from what it was even 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. The special effects and the scenes that they're able to create now are so lifelike and so... Unbelievable that it's hard not to be drawn into these things, and I, I can tell you uh, from personal experience that I, I was a, before I became a Christian, I was a huge, huge movie buff. Um, and then I watched this documentary on movies uh, from a Christian perspective, and and showing some of the some of the things that were going on in the movies. Like for instance, there's a scene. There's a scene in the movie Fight Club where they actually they talk about God and they talk about how God hates you and that you know you're going to basically you are you have to accept the fact that you are going to die you're not going to be you know redeemed or anything like that and then you know get over it from there. And I never remembered that scene because you you know you watch that movie Fight Club for the fighting and for you know Brad Pitt and and Edward Norton, you know, acting giants uh, and, and very very skilled actors at that. And you don't think about these things, but this, this these scenes um, where they talk of something about God and they and they they undermine his character in some way. They do this in so many movies. I remember watching Blood Diamond. There's another scene there where. They said, you know, oh, God, I believe in God or something like that. And then, you know, it's Leonardo DiCaprio and he says, you know, God left this place a long time ago. And when we did the evolution's um, entertainment attack, you could see that they're pushing evolution. They make people that don't accept it look stupid or absurd. And it's really, it's just part of their agenda. The only the only place that this, this sort of um, thinking really exists in such a robust manner until they until eventually they they push it upon the people which does happen but the only place that this sort of ideologies exist and and actually are able to stand their own ground is in the movies because when you look at things like evolution you begin to pick it apart you see that it actually all falls apart it's actually it's actually takes quite a bit of faith in order to accept it and this is what's going on this is what's going on with the movies. And it's been going on for some time. The Jesuits have used uh, phases of Hollywood. Basically, you know, if you go back, oh, I wish the movies were back like they were, you know, in the old days, in what they call, you know, the golden age of Hollywood, Charlton Heston and and somewhat before him. But they had, you know, movies. They all had morals and things like that. The problem was, is that many times those movies either had Roman Catholic ideologies or you know they took took a sympathetic tone to rome or they would have morals but they wouldn't attach it to god in any way in any ways you know don't be like the bandits little jimmy because you know stealing is wrong and you shouldn't do that it takes a real man not to steal instead of saying you know there's a commandment from god that thou shalt not steal They forgot all about, they moved completely away from that argument completely and opted just for the secular view. And that's phase one. And then, you know, as you go down through the phases, they began to liberalize. And now we've seen the demoralization that Yuri Bezmenov talked about where they are just, I mean, the movies, they basically have pornographic scenes in them now. Uh, The discussions about God are Unbelievable. And it's very clear that it's gotten out of hand. And the actually, the liberalizing of Hollywood in the 1950s, would it surprise you to find out, well, probably not if you're listening to this show, but would it surprise you to find out that it was actually the Jesuits who were behind the liberalizing or the, the, the left takeover of Hollywood back in the 1950s? This is a quote from a book called Jesuit Hollywood by Sean Wilcock. This is taken from page 219 and 220. It says, John Courtney Murray, a leading Jesuit theologian and intellectual, published an article on censorship in 1956 in which he questioned whether Roman Catholic adults were in fact obligated to follow the restrictions placed on the media by their religious leaders. He stated that censorship in a democracy was an infringement on the freedom of expression and a dangerous one at that, and that only pornography should be restricted or banned. Without naming it, he even criticized the Legion of Decency's power and influence. Folks, for those of you who don't know, the Legion of Decency was a Roman Catholic uh, sort of grassroots movement that was trying to go against some of the the more vulgar practices that were going, that were trying to be introduced into Hollywood at that time. However, as we can tell from the movies that we have now, they did lose that battle. And the Jesuits went against them on this issue and pushed for liberalization. Okay, so continuing with the quote. It said, boycotting a theater, he argued, made Roman Catholics look ridiculous. He argued that they should be free to make up their own minds about what obscene and what was obscene and what was not, and even appealed to Rome's canon law, stating that canon 1399, which established the categories of books which papists were forbidden to read, appeared to suppose that ordinary papists could decide for themselves. But what happened? Why had this Jesuit priest written such an article? Why had he even been permitted to do so by his superiors? What was afoot? What must be understood is the nature of the jesuit order the jesuits those fanatical agents of the papacy have also been the intellectual vanguard of the papal institution their goals are very long-term their methods often extremely radical and even at variance with usual or traditional papist policy the jesuits were at the forefront of this new tactic there was murray there was john g ford a professor of romish theology Harold C. Gardner, the author of The Catholic Viewpoint on Censorship, and Gerald Kelly, another professor of theology. All were priests, and all were Jesuit priests. Another priest was Francis J. Connell. He was not a Jesuit, but he was with them in this internal shift taking place. These men did not necessarily oppose all censorship. In all likelihood, they would not have been in favor of the unrestrained violence, sex, nudity, and profanity that is so common in movies today. They believed, however, that censorship at the time was too oppressive. So the jesuit I mean, this, think about this again, folks. You have the King of the North and the King of the South duking it out again. And you have the Jesuits playing puppet master on both sides. And they're pushing for more liberalism in the mainstream, more vulgar, more nudity, more more violence in in the mainstream media entertainment outlets going against the the conservative movement that was going on in the legion of decency and pushing for this while simultaneously being roman catholic again this is the king of the north and the king of the south right here in a microcosm happening again in hollywood i have one more quote here from same book, Sean Wilcock, uh, Jesuit Hollywood, and this is page, from page 252. Yet, even though this was the era of waning support for the Code and the Legion of Decency, it was, paradoxically, an era of some very pro-Roman Catholic movies as well. In many movies during this era, now this is the 1950s and 1960s, okay, the, when the liberalization of of Hollywood began to take place. It says, in many movies during this era, the following... And following the release of the papal encyclical examined earlier, Romanism was now portrayed as a powerful force for good in the world, rather than merely as the religion of underdog immigrants as it had been in the past. In particular, in that Cold War era, American Romanism was portrayed as being strongly anti-communist in such films as The Fugitive, 1947, Satan Never Sleeps, 1962, The Cardinal, 1963. Almost always, in fact, when religion fought against communism, in the movies, it was the Roman Catholic religion that did so, not surprisingly, considering papist Jesuit influence in Hollywood. The movie The Cardinal showed the rise of a priest to the position of cardinal as a result of a life of devotion. And again, every single time, it, sh- it showed the Roman Catholic Church being against communism, and eventually being able to overtake it. Just like what we see in Daniel chapter 11 with the fight between the king of the north and the king of the south. And it's very interesting because this is a tactic that's not a new tactic for them. It's something that they've been using... It's part of the counter-reformation. It's part of their education system. It's one of the ways they use to educate those who are unwilling to be educated by them. And so what do you see in the movies? You always see in the movies priests, whether they're being made fun of or whether they're actually being exalted, it's always, not always, but almost always, um, The Roman Catholic Church that appears to be the only legitimate church in the world. Perfect example, let's say a movie that was against the church. Perfect example is The Da Vinci Code. It talks about how Christianity is fake, etc., etc., and who do they target? They target the Vatican. As if the Vatican is a representative of Christianity. They are not. And that can be studied throughout history that they are not. But that's what they see. That's what the viewer sees. Somebody who doesn't study this stuff out and know history, they look at that and they they see that the Roman Catholic Church is the representative of Christianity. Now, they basically bash, uh, you know, uh, Jesus. They bash Christianity. They bash the Roman Catholic Church. In that movie, nonetheless, the perception is that Christianity is represented by the Roman Catholic Church. And that is a very strong seed to be planted in the hearts of people. Because if anybody ever changes their mind on Christianity later on, where would they go? They would go to the representative of Christianity, which would be, in their mind, the Vatican. So folks, just be careful out there. In these movies, they have an agenda. It can be traced back to Rome. This is a tried and true way that Rome has used to bring people into the church, to make friends of their enemies, and most of all, like the Guarani Indians in Paraguay, they use them to control people. And that's exactly what's going on today. You have this evil union between the media the entertainment industry the education institutions and by and large the politics and they're all pushing the same thing You can, I mean you can add businesses in there too corporations they're all pushing the same agenda and they're all working together and once again folks all roads lead to Rome I'm Cody Moore. You've been listening to Truth Triumphant Radio. God bless.